You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one podcast for all things communication, advertising, and marketing. I'm your host, Ted Lau, award-winning agency owner, podcaster, and family guy. Today on our show, we have Sina Bayaskalen, head of partnerships at Asians in Advertising, where she supports over 3,500 members in more than 30 countries around the globe. She is also the director of marketing of Cordia and a facilitator for hashtag I am remarkable, an initiative by Google. In her 15 years in the field of marketing and communications leadership, she's been involved in media, nonprofits, consulting, and technology companies with a focus on brand marketing, marketing communication strategy, growth, and employer marketing. Through her involvement with Asian American and Pacific Islanders, AAPI community, she advocates for social justice, women's empowerment, and gender equality while advocating Asians to higher leadership positions. She joins us today from Washington, D.C. Welcome, Sina. Hi, Ted. So excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for your time today. So you have quite the story, you know, and we were chatting a little bit in the pre-call. And let's start there. Tell us about your origin and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, so I'm actually a Mongolian-American. I was born in Mongolia, grew up mostly in South Korea before moving to the U.S. So I started my career in South Korea. I didn't study marketing or advertising. My parents expected me to do the, you know, very traditional route, go through the either be a lawyer or a doctor or engineer. So I decided to go study international relations and communications and business. So I thought I was going to be a lawyer, but that really quickly changed when I first volunteered and got a job as an interpreter at a refugee crisis center in South Korea. And when you're in kind of like a nonprofit, you know how you just start doing everything because there's nobody else who can do that or they don't have the fun to do it. So I started doing the interpreting for the refugees, but then I stopped doing that. And then I did more of like a marketing communication, social media. And that this is like way back in the day where, you know, we didn't even probably have MySpace, but Korea always did things like before everyone. So they had this thing called Cyworld, kind of like Facebook, but with like a virtual avatars, but use that to communicate with refugees and people who want to volunteer and who want to donate. So I started kind of managing that and communicating with people. So that's how I really started in the marketing and in the creative industry. Well, that's great. So you had the opportunity because it was one of those, if I don't do it, who does it? Exactly. That's great. So Mongolia via Korea and then Washington, DC, is that where you landed? Is that, or did you land other places before that? I actually first came to Texas. So I went to school, UT Austin. I lived in Austin for a while before moving to DC for my current job. Nice. So lots of change. How many languages do you speak? If I can ask. I speak four. (laughs) Which four? So I speak Mongolian and Korean fluently because I grew up in South Korea. I speak Russian. I understand Russian and speak very bad Russian because my parents met in Russia and we lived there too. 
and then I speak English. Wow. And I guess you probably speak a little Texan too, right? I guess that's that's still English, but Yeah, you'll hear me say y'all when I talk. <laughs> it's all good. I, I'm starting to say y'all a lot myself. And I think it's a it's a good way just to embrace everybody, right? So let's talk about Asians in advertising, you know, the history, the need, where it came from, how you got involved. Yeah, so Asians in advertising was founded in March 2021 by uh, two co-founders, Bernice Chow and Justin Lam. Bernice is in LA, Justin is in New York, but they met at this virtual event and talked to each other and kind of decided to start this nonprofit to really, you know, create, develop a free community, you know, create opportunities and help elevate Asians to higher leadership positions. Because actually, you know, Marketing News Canada wrote our first, very first press in 2021, and we're so thankful. But it was right, you know, when they decided to create this organization, maybe a month later was the, the attack happened in Atlanta. So it was a very high tension moment when we created this organization and we started to really make space for Asians within our, you know, creative industry, marketing and advertising to come together in a community where we often excluded, right? And just connect with each other in order to advance in our goals and careers and to support each other's personal and artistic goals. And also we want to help, you know, answer questions, offer advice, career, personal, and really have discussions, you know, about the issues that the Asian community faces as a whole in creative careers and outside. So I've been listening to a bit of the podcast just to kind of, you know, do my homework, understand a little bit about the organization. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we always joke, I think a lot of Asians joke about some commonalities, some similarities about, you know, I think you just talked about my parents wanted XYZ career. I mean, I was joking with somebody the other day where it's, I think, doctors, lawyers, accountants, engineers in that order, Mm -hmm. I think is of importance of what Asian parents want their kids to grow up. And it's kind of the stereotype. And I think certain cultures have that as well. What other commonalities have you seen in terms of like the struggles and challenges for Asians in advertising trying to build up careers other than, you know, the family maybe not sure about this being the pursuit for their career? What other challenges have you seen that are kind of common threads amongst the 3,500 some odd members that you serve? Yeah, so... I think one of the thing that one of the challenges that we internally also face is either it's cultural or a communicational or networking styles are at odds with you know like a corporate America or corporate Canada. Asians are often held back by these stereotypes, right? That that can be really at odds with Western ideas about leadership. But these are really generalization and assumptions that Asian Americans, you know, hold these values themselves, hold these values. But having these stereotypes, you know, can themselves be an obstacle to career advancement. So, of course, we have these, you know, sometimes have these cultural learnings where expected to be in certain career. To be completely honest, my parents still don't know what I do, right? Like, it's really hard to explain to them what I do and how I make money. But I think it's this really deep-rooted learnings from 
early on or from, you know, generations that a lot of times we work really hard. We try to show what we like best work shows itself. But unfortunately in America, that's not how leaderships are seen, right? Until we change that definition of leadership, what leadership is supposed to supposed to look like, we have to kind of advocate for ourselves. We have to learn how to talk about our accomplishments, learn how to speak up, right? In meetings, in rooms that we are not often excluded and actually show that, hey, this stereotypes are not really serving us well. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, I, growing up, you know, uh, in, I'm a child of the eighties in the suburbs of Vancouver, Canada. And I mean, I've said this probably a few times on this podcast where, you know, I was really the, one of the very few non-white kids, especially in like kindergarten. I remember it was me, the Italian kid and the Filipino kid. And that was, that was it. Everyone else was like, you know, blonde hair, blue eyed. But I think because of it, you know, I was very much able to take that on and, and feel a sense of okayness. I think there was obviously some profiling, some racism, but maybe just myself a little bit too naive, a little bit too ignorant, you know, ignorant as bliss that I just took it on as, you know, I'm special because of this. And Mm -hmm. I've been able to navigate between two worlds. I have many, most of my friends that I grew up with are Caucasian, you know, and Mm -hmm. they, they see, oh, this is this Asian kid, Chinese kid. And there's, you know, jokes about that. And then I have a lot of friends that are from, you know, China, from Hong Kong, from Asia that don't really see me as an Asian. They, they, they will tell me, Hey, I think you're more white than anything else. Right. So it's this kind of weird dichotomy that I've experienced, but I've actually Mm -hmm. used it to my advantage. I know that people say sometimes, you know, you're sitting on this board, maybe there's a tokenism thing. Like I've been in boards where I was the youngest person by at least a generation and the only non-white individual. And I think a lot of the speakers I've heard on some of these podcasts is that, you know, it's uh, a little bit strange. Is it tokenism? I take it as the fact that, you know what, screw it. At least I have an opportunity to be at the table to contribute and then maybe be able to blaze a trail for, for future generations. And so is that something that you're talking about when you're talking about the stereotypes, because I'm pretty loud. I'm pretty proud. I, I don't really care what people think. And I just kind of do my thing. And maybe it's because I grew up listening to punk rock and all that kind of stuff. But is that the stereotype that you're talking about that sometimes we in this community, uh, AAPI are just kind of following, falling into that stereotype. And we ourselves have to maybe take it upon ourselves to break out of it. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah. So, I mean, that's one way, right? Like that's what we, until we change really what the leadership look like and we see more of ourselves in that leadership positions where we can strive to, we can, you know, say, oh, there's an Asian woman who's Mongolian American. Is this, you know, C-level executive? I mean, if I see that in the beginning of my career, that would really make my, you know, career path different, right? It'll really give me that aspiration to get there. But I think, you know, what we don't realize is like, people don't realize there's this thing called bamboo ceiling, right? Especially like in corporate America. But, you know, this is something Asians face in corporate America. And it's the ceiling that Asian Americans face in the workplace where, you know, racial and ethnic inequalities prevent their 
upward mobility, right? Because if you if you think about it, Asians make up 15 to 25% of the enrollment in elite MBA programs. And they make up to 13% of the U.S. professional workforce, but they're only 7% of leadership in the Fortune 100 and only 3% of CEOs of the Fortune 500 are Asian. So I actually want to ask you this too, like, some of these really like smart, really brilliant Asian people and you know Asian American and Pacific Islander people are choosing entrepreneurship, which has always been like a mm-hmm. that potent alternative for people who want to bet on themselves when they feel others won't bet on them. You know, so I know you you ran your agency for a really long time and you're a successful business owner, successful leader. Do you think you know like? it would have been different if you stayed in like the corporate world. I really, I'm really interested. Well, so that's a great question. I know I'd love to answer that. So, so yeah, I mean, I think my path is a little bit different than, than Mm -hmm. most. I didn't really appreciate it until I was a little bit older, Mm -hmm. but I actually come from a family of solopreneurs. So Mm -hmm. on my mom's side, there's nine brothers and sisters, my mom and eight others. And I think other than one of them, number Mm -hmm. nine, everyone else ran their own little business. Mm -hmm. And my dad's side of the family, my grandfather, my father's father ran two or three businesses. My mother's father ran two or three businesses. My, I think I had a couple of uncles and aunts on that side that did work for the man corporations or whatnot. And it was kind of the safer route, but for whatever reason, I always gravitated to the entrepreneur side and I always knew I was going to run my own show. It was, it was mm-hmm. never really a doubt. And yeah. many years later, I had actually asked my father when I was going through some breakdown in the business and questioning, oh my goodness, what am I doing running this business? And is this really what, you know, I was really questioning. It was kind of this, this pivot point in my, my life, but I asked my dad and my dad said, I was like, dad, do you, did you ever think I would run a business like this? And he, he said, he said, no, I didn't know that you would run this, but I knew you couldn't work for somebody. That's what he said. I knew you couldn't work for somebody. And I'm like, so what? It's either run my own business or be homeless. And he was like, yeah, pretty much. Right. And so my personality trait was not because others didn't include me. I didn't feel like I didn't have a sense of belonging. It's just, I always had this thing that I had to run my own business. Like it was, it was a thing that I knew I was going to do. I have worked for others. I hate, (laughs) I don't like, I don't like authority. Like again, punk rock. I grew up in, I listened to industrial music. I listened to grunge music, all that kind of stuff. So it was very much a, like I needed to set my own path. And that's what I, I do like about living in North America, you have that opportunity to kind of run your own thing. There's this resiliency aspect and and it's much easier. So, and when you run your own business, you kind of shortcut and circumvent a lot of the things that you would have to do in corporate America at 20, was that 23, 24, I was sitting, I was the only one sitting around the table with my clients that were C-suite level because we we're a creative agency. So I did video production, I did website, I did all the, the the major stuff. So I would have an opportunity to sit with all the major CEOs, CMOs, directors of op, you know operations, whatever it is. And there's no way that an entry-level person at 23 would have had that opportunity. And because I was eager, I guess, 
it opened a lot of doors. I had a lot of these CEOs are like, wow, I wasn't all that extra talented. I just had that drive. And I would ask them questions like, hey, how did you get here? How did you get there? I was very curious and inquisitive. And that allowed them to open doors for me. How I sat on these boards was not because, oh, they looked at me and said, oh, he's young, he's Asian, we got to put him in. It was the fact that I impressed them for some reason. And they're like, you know what? I think you would really like being on this board. And in fact, they have said this. We're a bunch of old white dudes. We could really use your perspective. And so I took it upon myself uh, to educate this group of older white folks. Nothing wrong with it. They have their particular way of doing things. They've been successful in their own right. And that was how society was built. Not going to shame them for it. There's lots for me to learn. But I realized that I have something to contribute. I have something to provide. And that gave me a sense of confidence, power. Again, ignorance is bliss. I don't know what you want to call it, but that's kind of how I did it. So for any of the listeners, maybe even, you know, I'm mentoring somebody as well in the Asians in, in advertising. And I really do promote the entrepreneur side of things because there's, it's so much fun. It's a lot of risk at first, but down the line, you actually have less risk because, you know, mm-hmm. if you think about it, if you work for corporate America, corporate Canada, you got one job, you got one source of income, And if you don't like that person that you're reporting to, kind of too bad, so sad, you kind of have to suck it up until you find another source of income, another job. Whereas when you run an agency like mine, I got like 50, 100 clients, right? So you spread that up, you know, they might, each client might account for one, 2% of my business income. If I don't like them, off. Like that's kind of, I, again, a little brass, but either way, my, my whole thing is like, well, if it's not for you guys, we'll see you later. I have all these other opportunities. And so my risk becomes a lot lower. And I think that's one thing that I would like to communicate to young people, be it in the AAPI community or not. If you take on a lot of stress at first, it actually makes it a lot easier down the line. Anyway. Mm-hmm. That was my point. This is my this is my interview with you. You should not be asking me questions because now I just took up all this time. Okay, Sina, I'm going to ask you and pivot to hashtag I am remarkable, this initiative by Google. Mm-hmm. So you're a facilitator there. Can you maybe touch upon that a little? Yeah, thank you for asking. So uh, hashtag I am remarkable is this initiative by Google to empower women and underrepresented groups to speak openly about their accomplishments in the workplace and beyond. So to really break modesty norms and class ceilings. So if you think about it, I actually just had this conversation with the you know Future Asian Leaders Scholarship provided by Asians in Advertising. We just launched this scholarship to provide executive coaching for this new cohorts of 12 people to teach them how to be a leader, right? Teach what to really use their own what's best in them to bring that into the leadership. So, right. So we can like close that C-suite gap. So that's one of our goal in Asians in advertising. So what hashtag I am remarkable is doing is to letting people understand that your accomplishments don't speak for themselves, right? People won't know what you've done, what you're good at, and you know, how remarkable you are until you tell them. And So this program is to really just telling people it's actually for everyone. It's not just for women and underrepresented groups. It's for everyone to really talk about their accomplishments and, you know, self-promotion. 
at workplace to get to and close that C-suite gap and get to a leadership position because there's a study that actually talks about when women, you know, self-advocate and promote and, you know, talk about achievements, they're not liked by both men and women. This is more socially driven, right? So the more we do this and more we're aware of this, these socially driven, these stereotypes and these things, more educated we are and we're not going to punish women just because they're you know, self-advocating. So it's a, it's a really cool initiative done by Google. And I love giving this workshop to organizations and groups. And you will see people actually cry in the session. It's really powerful. It's very simple. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Yeah, I think that's lovely. Myself, me and my wife, Marissa, have a daughter. Her name's Charlotte, and she she's becoming a teenager very quickly. And we actually talk about self-advocacy, that it is yes. something that you you have to do. because, And maybe because, you know, we run a business and we, we've inherently over the 20 years of running this business understand that. But culturally, I think from a societal standpoint, women and possibly folks in, in the Asian community, it's not promoted that you, you got to self-advocate. And so this is something that we actually do push, sometimes a little uncomfortable for our daughter, but it's something that we push that, hey, you know, this is something you have to do because if it's not you, who's going to do it? Right. And I think it's a beautiful thing that, you know, yourself, you're facilitating that and good on Google for, for putting this on. So that's great. Now, Let's talk a bit about your the podcast. Let's talk about the AAPI Summit. Let's let's talk about a couple of those things. Just because you know time's running a little bit short, I'd like to to touch a bit upon that. Can you talk about the the summit, the upcoming summit, and, and the podcast? Yeah. So we had our first annual summit back in May, beginning of May, during the AAPI Heritage Month, and it's called Breaking Barriers. So we expected, we wanted to have, we thought maybe five hundred show up. But we actually had, we actually sold over 700 tickets. We had incredible turnout. We had over 40, you know, Asian American Pacific Islander speakers. We partnered with over 20 API owned organizations across marketing, advocacy, and media to really elevate and amplify the, you know, Asian American and Pacific Islander community and provide them a platform to share their voices and perspective at our event. And we partnered with some Asian artists to design our event logo, event swag, to really showcase their talent. So it was an incredible success. We had, you know, Cindy Gallup as a keynote speaker. We had Stop AAPI Hate co-founders came as a keynote speaker. So it was very successful and we were blown away by the turnout. And some of the feedbacks were just, you know, really made me realize why we're doing this at Asians and Advertising because people said it felt like a TED Talk, like the two days of TED Talk one after another, you know? Like talking about Asian pain, Asian struggles, Asian success, Asian ways of, you know, Asian people's, you know, career goals and what can do next. 
So we're thinking of doing the next one, which will be in the beginning of, of May again in 2023. But I don't know if we will do two days, like full two days, because there's a lot of work. But we're definitely having it first week of May in 2023. We're looking forward to it. And then maybe let's talk a little bit about that podcast. So what's it called? How do people hear about it? Yeah, so it's called Asians in Advertising. Our second season is coming up next week. We're going to have these incredible Asian American Pacific Islander leaders come on and talk about their career path, talk about their, you know, struggles, talk about their successes. And, you know, I think the best thing about these podcasts is like you see yourself in that leadership position, right? You, you see that you learn from these leaders who made it. A lot of times they're the first in their industry or first, you know, in their company. So I think it's a really important tool and it's really good, you know, resource to access for Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders who are in creative industry to learn and accelerate their career. Okay, awesome. And then so, you know, I wanted to ask a little bit about the executive coaching scholarship. There's this coaching scholarship you touched upon a little bit earlier. How does that work? How do people get involved? So the whole, you know, the reason that we we had the Breaking Barriers Summit in May was to really create more opportunities for our community and our members. And when we we had incredible sponsors who, you know, helped us during the summit and, you know, donated to us and sponsored us. So we used that money to create this executive coaching program called Future Asian Leaders and opened it to our community to apply. And then we chose 12 people, 12 cohorts this year to receive executive coaching by this Filipino coach. Her name is Nicole Cruz. She's incredible for the next three months to really learn, you know, get out of that a lot of times the cultural learnings that kind of like held us back and get out of that and really step into that leadership positions. And it, I'm really happy to say we already have a promotion and a raise from one of our cohort and we're celebrating her. And it's really exciting to see during these, these coaching sessions is that a lot of times our, you know, our community is very isolated. Just like what you said in the beginning of this podcast, a lot of times we're usually the first one. Like I was, I was the only Asian, you know, marketing person in the team, if not in the whole company. Right. So they never see themselves in these modeled in these leadership positions. So they just kind of not sure if they can even make it there. So to break them, really break that like hesitancy, break that, you know, doubt is I think really big part of the work. And then after that, it just kind of, it's incredible to see where they go and how they open up and how they learn and how they apply what they learn in these coaching sessions. Let's talk a little bit about representation. So as mentioned, when we were chatting earlier in this call that in my world, yeah, I've been a lot of times the one and only or the first Asian in any kind of capacity. And again, I, I kind of took it as just, okay, well, this is the thing and I'm going to go do my thing and see where it goes. And it, I took it as an opportunity. I never saw it as a negative or, or I was never really intimidated by it. <laughs> and I never personally really cared about representation, though now that I'm a little bit more senior in the space, 
and I talk to some younger folks from the AAPI community, they have shared with me that, you know, because of what I've done or who I am and what I've explored, that it's actually made them realize maybe they can do this as well. And so I've come to realize that representation does matter. Now, that's great and all if you have somebody now that is ahead of you, that kind of looks like you, that has the same cultural background. But what advice do you have for those of us that are blazing that trail, that are the one at the table or the only one in that entire company? What do you say about that? Do you have any tips, tricks? Because someone's going to have to break that barrier eventually, and someone's going to enter that C-suite before there's actual representation. So how, how do you think someone should take that on? That's actually a really good question. I you know, think about this a lot is if you think about it, like Asian American community is really diverse, right? There's this monolithic mindset that Asians are just Asians, but you know, it's important to really realize Asian American and Americans and Pacific Islanders are they're from more than fifty ethnic groups with different cultures and histories and religions mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. languages in the United States. So when we try to serve our members in our communities, we're always thinking about like how can we if there's somebody we're not reaching, how can we reach these people? I think the biggest thing I would say to that is really just collaboration. So whether you can be the only one, then you can start something, you know, something like this for your community. Even if you're not a you know Asian American or Pacific Islander, but you're the only person who's doing what you're doing right now, you can create, you know, your own Asians in the advertising or whatever you are, whatever industry you're in, and really create that space for the people who will be coming after you and, you know, throw it down the road, right? Bringing people up. And a lot of times, you know, when you help people, when you teach people, when you mentor people, that's how you learn, right? How you get better and how you, you know, get involved more. So I think that's why I'm so grateful that you are part of the next gen mentorship program that we're doing with 3AF is we need these people who's done it before, who's been there, who who already experienced these, you know, stereotypes and these trials and triumphs and successes to teach the people who are coming after us so we can increase the, you know, Asian representation in the advertising creative industry and really encourage the next generation of the creatives to like, hey, this is going to be an inclusive place. And because we're going to help you see, we're going to help you get there. We're going to show you how to get there. We're going to, you know, mentor you alongside you know, throughout your journey. So I think it's just really helping, you know, opening up doors for others, throwing down the road, collaborating with other organizations and communities. And if you're a business owner, collaborating with different businesses, co-creating, right, for the community. I think that's super. Yeah, thank you for that advice. You have a very good point there, right? Paying it forward has been something that I've been lucky to understand very early on in my career it was in fact one of my first mentors said look the only thing that you need to do for me to pay me back is to pay it forward to find someone else that you can help mentor in your own right and so i've been doing that a lot and your comment about learning just as much as a mentor as a mentee is absolutely true you know i right now mentor a younger agency owner 
And there's so much that I learn from my interaction with them that it's, it's fantastic. And there's new insights that I wouldn't have known because I am a little bit older now. And I'm looking forward to, you know, mentoring my mentee from Asians in advertising as well. And I'm very excited about that. So, you know, good on you guys for putting that on and, and would love to, you know, stay connected and please, by all means, continue to share your press releases with Marketing News Canada. Yeah, thank you for having me and thank you for, you know, highlighting our community and thank you for, you know, putting out our first press release in 2021. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Before we end, we always do a little fun round of personal questions, rapid fire round, just to get to know Sina a little bit better. So let's go there. So tell me, what was your favorite food as a child? My favorite food? So growing up in Mongolia, I didn't get to eat a lot of fruit because it's just so expensive and we don't have a lot. And when I first moved to South Korea, I tasted peach for the first time. And I've never had anything so good in my entire life. So I ate so much of it and I got like burn all over my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) It was so painful, but it still to this day is one of my favorite fruit and favorite snack. So I really, I never like forget that experience of like loving something so much, but then like really hurting. (laughs) Well, if you ever get a chance to come out to the West Coast in Vancouver, Canada, there is a region in our province called the Okanagan. And the Okanagan is famous for peaches. We have peaches the size, like bigger than my fist. And they're beautiful. They're very juicy. It's always in the summertime. So please, by all means, and this is not sponsored by Tourism BC, (laughs) but or Tourism Okanagan, but either way. So let's talk about what is the best work from home uniform that you have? Oh my God. So I usually just wear like, like button ups and then pajama pants. I'm always in pajama. You actually, at least you're wearing button ups. I'm always in a t-shirt and shorts. And my staff, when we first started doing this, like, well, if the CEO is wearing t-shirts and I want to wear t-shirts, right? So that's what we do. Are you a night owl or early bird? I am an early bird. How early? Like 5.36. Oh, that is early. And the best place for you to get Korean food in DC? So I recently moved my parents to the US from South Korea. So my mom is just the most incredible cook. So I haven't really gone out to eat Korean food for a really long time. So like when you when you have All right, so everyone goes to Mama Sina's house. I know, right? That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. The area has like incredible Korean communities and Virginia Mm -hmm. area too, Northern Virginia area. So there are like so many amazing Korean restaurants. I just can't think of one from the top of my head because it's been so long. We're all going to your house. It's all good. No problem. We'll go to your mom's house. It's all good. We're good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What song are you playing on repeat right now? I've been listening to 88 Rising. Ever since our Breaking Barriers Summit, because that was the music whenever we like moved from one session to another and everybody loved it. And I'm, I'm obsessed with it. 
All right. Well, I got to put that into my my music playlist then. All right, Sina. So how do we get a hold of you? You can connect with me on LinkedIn and you can also join our member community, AsiansInAdvertising.com. You can find us on LinkedIn. We have an Asians in Advertising company page, but we also have Asians in Advertising private group on LinkedIn. So if you're an Asian or you're an ad, uh, you know ally, please join us. we you know, share a lot of resources. We share a lot of new events that's coming up. And we're actually having an event in October 6th for C-Suite event with Asians, uh, Asian Americans and Pacific Islander leaders. So that would be a really incredible event. I highly recommend you to join. Our co-founders actually just wrote a book called The Visibility Mindset. It's coming out. And we're going to have an in-person event, first in-person event in New York City at a bookstore called You and Me in Chinatown. It's owned by Asian women. So please join us there too. It's November 16th. And then we're also going to have an in-person event in LA area as well. Okay. Well, looking forward to it. Thank you, Sina, very much for your time. And I've enjoyed this call. I think it was it was great. So thank you very much for your time. Everybody, what a great episode of Marketing News Canada. I'm your host, Ted Lau. This is Sina Bayaskalen. And I'm signing off. Thank you, Ted. It was really great. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.